Third Degree the Podcast is brought to you by Soccer 90, your source for all your FC Dallas and World Cup gear. Shop the wide selection of U.S. national team merchandise, jersey, hats, scarves, whatever you want. As a Third Degree listener, you get 20% off your order when you use the code THIRDDEGREE at checkout at Soccer90.com. Some exclusions apply. Well, hello, FC Dallas curious fans. It's I, Buzz Carrick, the founder editor of Third Degree. Uh, Peter is, of course, still heavily involved in his World Cup coverage from the kick around, so he's not with us today. Uh, so joining me is our English compatriot, none other than Mr. Dan Crook. How are you doing, Dan? Pretty spiffy. Uh, looking forward to the round of 16. Oh, yeah. Are you? Who, who's England going to get, you think? Uh, we've got Senegal, right? Is that who it is? I, I don't remember. I know that the U.S. plays Netherlands. <laughs> I don't know that one. I know this is going to be a game. Okay, so today uh, we decided to do a patron Q&A. So through the uh, patron service and through the Discord, we've piled about 20 to 30 questions um, from patrons, and we're going to go through them. Uh, some of them are on the World Cup, but the majority of them are on SC Dallas and, and other things. And we're just going to go back and forth uh, answering these questions and I'll just read the first one, Dan, and, and then you can give an answer and I'll maybe, you know, give a retort uh, or, or, or an agreement or a thumbs down or whatever it is I feel like adding. And then we'll go on from there with, uh, you can answer the next question. So we're going to start with uh, Lance Lester uh, and, the, and we're going to start with the World Cup style questions. And his first question, he was the first person that asked one, uh, I think is Jesus international quality. So Dan, what do you think? Is Jesus international quality? Absolutely. Uh, I mean, he plays for a, a national team that makes him international quality. Uh, obviously, a difference between world class and, and international quality. But uh, yeah, I think, you know, hopefully we're going to see the effect that he can have on the US national team with this uh, this Holland game coming up, a game where maybe his ability to break lines and, and press may come into play a little more as Haji Wright proves to be shit. And uh, the ginger fellow is uh, screwed his knee up. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see if um, if Sergeant is out or if if Wright continues to if he is out if Wright continues to be the choice. It seems pretty clear that uh, Bearhalter is not picking Jesus. Um, we're going to talk about Jesus a fair bit in the, among these questions. But I agree with you. I think there's a big gap between not senior national team material and being ready to start or star in the World Cup. Jesus, at the age of, what is he now, 22? I think he just turned 22. Uh, 22 uh, on Christmas nope. Eve. Yeah, right. He's almost 22. He'll be 22, uh, yeah, this year. Right, 22 in, in December. So, you know, he, he's plenty involved in, um, you know, qualifying, and I think he'll be involved in future national teams. I think he's definitely of quality to be an international. I think um, we'll, we'll talk later about teams that might be tracking him or whether his future is going to be, but he's absolutely international caliber player international squads in general um have pools much bigger than they actually have for things like world cups you know their their roster of players goes significantly deeper than that so he's definitely what i would call international quality okay go ahead with question number two dan i'll stick with jesus uh rosis 0601 sorry if i butchered that asked given the lack of world cup playing time for jesus Will that likely keep him from a winter transfer offer worthy of FCD taking? Uh, I'm going to say no, it will not keep him from getting a worthy offer. Um, most teams that are interested in a player um, that uh, of the caliber of Jesus and the cost of Jesus will already have wanted him or not. And something like the World Cup just will tweak his value because it'll raise his awareness on an international stage if he were to play and, and get time. You know, his value to a professional team is already going to be pretty set in terms of at least a ballpark number. Um, the, the part about FC Dallas taking an offer, I think, uh, is interesting because that's the more important question. I don't think FC Dallas will want to sell Jesus yet. Um, you remember, they wanted to keep Pepe until they got a ridiculous number for him. Um, and, and that money jump-started the system and jump-started the, 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 the burst forward that we've seen with FC Dallas as an organization. 
So they don't have this desperate need for revenue right today like they did maybe two years ago. So I think they actually will be quite desperate to hold on to Jesus. It would only take an astronomical number uh, for Jesus, relatively speaking, to get him out of SC Dallas. Uh, and I don't think a World Cup would affect it enough to get that kind of number for him uh, today. Yeah, unless uh, unless something kicked off a bidding war, which is, you know, um, for a player like Cody Gakpo, totally plausible. Uh, guy looks incredible. Um, for a player of Jesus' character, uh, caliber, probably not going to kick off like a bidding war that would draw the sort of numbers. And when we said sort of numbers, we're looking at like getting up to that peppy twenty million that that the hunts are like. Okay, this is too good to be true. We just have to take it at this point. Um, as you say, they're not really looking to sell just for the sake of selling. They don't need to now. Now it's all about putting the pieces together and trying to win and win with Jesus. Yeah, I agree with that completely. And that's the thing is that that number is what I don't think you're going to see coming no matter what, whether Jesus plays or not. Um, the next question is from Jeff Tepper. He says, my 12-year-old RJ wants to know if there are any updates of interest in Jesus from European clubs. And this, Dan, uh, tails right into what we were just talking about. If there are multiple clubs interested, would you know? that's when you would start to get to this kind of bidding sort of situation. So I don't know. Uh, I'm, go ahead and answer this if you like, Dan. I, I'm going to guess that we, you and I probably don't know of any more additional interest. I've not Jesus. heard of any. Yeah. Um, I, so I'm effectively answering for Dan in the sense that, you know, the the – when the World Cup is happening, you're not going to see changes in that kind of interest because people are going to wait. You know, the players are going to wait, the agents are going to wait, the clubs are going to wait on both sides for it to be over and see where things are. I, I think the wording of the uh, more recent things we've heard about that are things where you see people like so-and-so is tracking or watching or scouting. You know, I think over the back half of this year when Jesus has got to the top of the Golden Boot race, that sort of got him on the radar of some of these teams that maybe hadn't quite noticed him before. And so I think going forward, they're going to be paying attention. Um, so we don't really don't have much of an answer to this question other than to say teams, I think are now definitely for sure paying attention. So I'll just go on to the next question and let Dan answer this one. El Hefe says, how much has the Pepe, Ariel and Legette non-inclusion for the world cup squad and Jesus's lack of playing time in the world cup, taken a shine off of SC Dallas as an incubator for the U.S. men's national team, Dan, I'm not sure it necessarily has too much. Uh, you know, people talked about FC Dallas and Seattle quite often, or and Nashville as as teams that provided multiple players. Uh, you know, you've got a bit of discontent with Greg Berhalter's selection, so really, you know, being the incubator of talent may not be the uh you know may not be the the title that everyone run, wants in this exact moment before we start the next cycle yeah i will tag that to say that you know the areola and legit acquisitions are new and the the thing that fc dallas is known for and i'll include philadelphia union in the same sentence is the development of the young american talent through their academy fc, FC dallas and philadelphia has got this really good group of philadelphia does these under 20s that are coming through aronson right before them and now the younger aronson and some of his cohorts dallas you can look at uh, paxton jesus pepe uh Cervania, Cerio, tanner testman um thomas roberts uh, Benny Redzich. You can literally have, oh, if you go for, further back in time, you've got Kellen Acosta. You've got um, coming up, yeah, coming up in the system uh, in the future. You know, if you go down through the academy, you're going to see peppered throughout the youth national teams, two, three, four uh, FC Dallas kids getting caps here and there. So the best academies, and I include Philadelphia Union in, in, in this discussion with FC Dallas, are continuing to produce the core talent of these national team program. So I don't, that's the part I don't think that'll lose some luster. Uh, you know, the, the, the guys that are in the prime of their careers are 28, 29 years old, not getting into the team. You know, we're going to come back to Bear Halter again later, but I, I don't think that reflects on FC Dallas. All right. Next question, Dan. Why? Well, right. uh, Joseph Inman asks, uh, well, just says happy to hear your thoughts on, Greg Berhalter's limited use of his bench. Yeah, this comes back to an idea that I've tried to communicate before, uh, and you can see it directly related through Berhalter's 
um, a protege with Nico Estevez, who runs a very short bench. Greg Berhalter is the same way. A lot of people don't, I think, don't quite think of the national team in the correct way. National teams aren't all-star teams. They're not all-star games. They're not the dream team from basketball glory days. National teams are squads just like anybody else. You build them just like anybody else. Over the course of the last year and a half, Berhalter built his core 11 uh, in there and amongst all his acquisitions with one or two spots being in flux and with all the rest of them mostly locked down. So whatever he decided his guys were going to be the week before the World Cup, those are his guys. And just like Nico Estevez, you know, he's trying to get through a tournament. He's trying to get through an MLS schedule in Nico's case with his core 11 and only making changes when he absolutely has to for um, injuries or a suspension or some kind of small, tiny little wrinkle of selection. These coaches, Berhalter and Nico, are both very similar in this. They run a very tight, very small squad, and so it does not shock me at all that this is what's happening. Now, the people that are in that rotation are not is where I think you can get into arguments, but I think if you would look, it's been so long since the U.S. has been in a World Cup that people don't remember. Unless you're losing all three games and in a panic situation, you don't see them go deep onto the bench. It's only when you're panicking that they do that. And I think that these games, and you can base it on the, his striker choices, for example, played tactically right into what Greg Bellholder thought they were going to. And so he went with the – I think he had a lot of these moves planned out way in advance, really. So I, I'm not at all surprised by his limited bench at all. I know. I think uh, in a way – a limited bench is, is a very common thing. We're seeing it in Major League Soccer constantly. We're seeing it really everywhere. Um, it's more... His issue seems to be more the timing of, and the impact of substitutions. But, you know, we'll leave that to uh, Peter and Andy, right? <laughs> I think you could also show the five subs is have an effect on this too. You know, five subs allows people to sub more players but you can manage the load on your starters and therefore you can use your starters more. And we're seeing that impact in MLS and in the World Cup, I think. Okay, next question. Jesus Ortega. There's a long one. How disappointing was Haji Wright in the Iran game? Very uh, Yeah, I felt like he was not running at full speed, even though he was a late game sub. His decision to shoot on goal could have cost the U.S. the game. Um, from, from my biased memory, says Jesus, wasn't Pepe our best pressing forward during World Cup qualifying? Barrels are made a mistake on that selection. Uh, Dan, go ahead. I didn't watch a ton of qualifying. Um, Pepe's strength, at least with FC Dallas, was never quite pressing and trying to win the ball back and trying to make things happen himself. It was more getting forward and being in the right place at the right time. Jesus, on the other hand, is a phenomenal pressing forward. You know, arguably the best in the pool at that um yeah Haji Wright you saw a guy he just kind of jogged around didn't really know what he was doing kind of stood somewhere around where the eight should be and then kind of jogged off to the left a little bit and then jogged up front and he looked he looked completely lost uh and then at the end that decision to shoot that's the sort of thing that gets a guy kicked off a team um if you're gonna shoot make it count work the keeper uh, but in that moment where you've got a minute to kill and a very tight game, you just take it to the corner and you run the clock out. Yeah, I agree with that assessment. Um, Pepe is a hard worker, but his timing of his press is not as good. Jesus's timing and his pressing is much, much better than Pepe's. Um, and yeah, right was a disappointment. Now, l- late in the game like that, I understand not complete team pressing, but Haji needs to make it more difficult for the center backs and not let them just have their passes at will. He needs to challenge them some and make it more difficult for them late in the game. All right, Dan, next question. Right, Rodney Schmissur. I hope I said that right. Um, We've got a theme going here. Not a Berhalter fan in any way, shape, or form, but do you read any dissatisfaction or disrespect of the FCD approach, players, etc., from the snubs of Paulie and Pepe and ongoing relegation of Jesus to the back of the roster, etc. Or is this simply player pool depth, uh, in quotes, form another coach speak for, I think I have better options. Yeah. It's just, I think I have better options. Um, when push comes to shove, 
uh, Bearholzer, like anybody, leans into the guys that he thinks have the most talent. That's the European based players. You know, it's not every European based players, but it's guys that are playing more often at the highest level possible. And we know that there are leagues that are higher level than Major League Soccer. You know, the it's not a, a slight on FC Dallas specifically, as much as it is that when when push came to shove, the big money, most valuable guys, you know, the guys that are more in the prime of their career are going to play. Now, there are some guys that play that are quite young, but they're, they're guys that play for big time, huge clubs that, that play at a higher level than FC Dallas. So it's not shocking as they tightened the bench that the Dallas guys got left out. Uh, you know, there were some when he leaned into MLS players at that point, he went to veteran MLS players like Morris and Roldan and, and got Shaq Moore, who's been in Europe for five years, even though he's back in MLS now. And Zimmerman, who's been, who's 20, what, seven, 28 prime of his career. So it, it's not shocking that 22 year old, 21 year old Jesus Ferrer is not playing. It's not shocking that 19 year old Pepe who was shut out in Europe, uh, in Germany, but then got hot late, got shut out. It, these things don't, don't shock us at all. I mean, it's it's always worth um, looking at the impact of CONCACAF and just the, the way that the North American season runs. You know, more often than not, the, the a national team player pool is kind of what it is all year round. Um, you know, with the men's national team and to a lesser extent, Canada and, uh, and Mexico, you are seeing... A dependency on the major league soccer guys, um, you know, through the gold cup, through a lot of world cup qualifying, through a lot of the nations league, uh, with you know less uh, emphasis put on the on the European guys. Um, now this, you know, that may be a coaching issue there. Uh, when we talk about Haji Wright hadn't scored uh, a competitive goal, and um, Josh Sargent hadn't really done a whole lot either and should have been in a gold cup squad to get tournament experience which is so vital at, at this point um you know that 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 may be a conversation for uh for people more u.s centric um but it certainly doesn't you know uh kind of rain on on fc dallas any and uh ronnie did have a second part to his question which was should fc dallas fans be glad Jesus is getting a heaping dose of off-season motivation to shove up Greg's posterior and continue his breakout into 2023 versus stroking, sorry, stoking other club offers to depart for greener pastures. I mean, I, I'd personally say rather than stoking club offers, more just wearing him out and preventing him from having any kind of off-season. Yeah, I wouldn't say that you should be glad that uh, Jesus is not playing. Um, what I what I do think is that Jesus talked a lot about uh, mental health this last year, and I think Jesus is the kind of player that will indeed take um, this kind of oh, I'm not there yet as a you know what I need to get better. Now I think Jesus is already a guy that was not going to be satisfied with Major League Soccer and ski, leading the FC Dallas and scoring. He wants to break that club record. He wants to take FC Dallas to a championship that his dad couldn't win. He wants to take himself to Europe. You know, not getting a call in a, in a national team in the World Cup game is the kind of thing that's going to drive him. I don't think it's going to drive him to distraction or be like a super negative, but I do think that he'll take it and use it as a motivator um, internally. Now, should you be glad that he didn't play? No, I think it would be better if he played, <laughs> for sure. Okay, um, next question from Stephanie. Uh, anyone at the World Cup y'all have seen that you think would be a great ad for FC Dallas? Dan. Uh, so, uh, confession time. Uh, we spend so much time analytically watching soccer games during the season. I have completely left my brain at home for the World Cup and mm. tried to watch as little as possible just the, you know, the US, England, and maybe some of the other bigger games that are enticing. Yeah, I, I too try and turn my brain off a little bit for uh, things like World Cups and Gold Cups and the national teams. That's not quite our beat. But I do sometimes have guys percolate, you know, through where I'll see a guy and go, oh, that's a nice player. You know, like I was watching Argentina today and they had a nice striker and I looked him up and he plays for Man City. He's worth $30 million. So, um, you know, that kind of thing is ridiculous. The World Cup makes it very, very difficult. But for the sake of this exercise, 
I went and looked around to try and find a body. Now, the way I think you can do this exercise is you can ask yourself, what does SC Dallas need? What might they be looking for? How do they operate as a club? Like, you can't say, oh, there's a guy that cost $30 million. I'd love for him to play for FC Dallas. That's ridiculous. So one of the things I think Dallas might be interested in doing, and I wrote about this in my roster building piece, was that even if you like Sebastian Legette as to be your main sort of st starter, you probably could use a depth piece there. Perhaps it could be somebody that you could use for like a U22 initiative. So Ecuador's got this kid named Jeremy Sarmentio who plays for Brighton. Uh, transfer market says he's worth $3 million. He's a playmaking kind of free eight sort of character. He was born in Spain. He came up through some of the England youth teams, actually. So he's very cosmopolitan. And he's not played a ton for Brighton. He's on their roster, but he's only played like nine games in the last year or so for Brighton. So there's a guy that I think if you buy this $3 million valuation, perhaps at 20 years old, he could be a U22 initiative. So there's a name, a guy in the World Cup on the Ecuador roster, as near as I can tell, because I haven't seen him play in the World Cup, but Jeremy Sarminiento. So that's a name for you. Yes. Well, okay. Our old friend... Uh... Old major of the bacon bourbon fame asks, uh, can the NTX signings get on into Nico's micro rotation? Uh, yes, they can. Um, I think that you already saw the potential that um, uh, Bernie has, uh, Bernard Camungo, when he got in real quickly to the, and, and in my mind, it moved himself immediately to fourth on the depth chart at wing. Um, in the 20 minutes he played, he did things that guys hadn't done all year, you know, and then he got hurt, of course. But um, I think he provides more than Obreon. So I think really quickly he's going to press Obreon for those bench wing minutes coming in that way. And I think that uh, Frank O'Hara will be here for half a year at most. And I think now that you have um, Jose Mulatto, Jose Mulatto on the roster, depending on how he does in training right out of the gate, I think he'll pretty quickly start pressing Frank O'Hara for those sub spots for Jesus, particularly if Jesus gets some more call-ups and you might need a body to start. Maybe early, early in the year, Franco might start, but you know you can't, Franco O'Hara can't really play 90 very much. So I think you're really quickly, you're going to see Mulatto press him and even take that spot. And certainly in mid-season when, I'm expecting, completely expecting Frank O'Hara to depart that Milada would then be second choice pending some move by FC Dallas. So I think both of those guys actually, yes, could crack the uh, micro-rotation. I think, I think one thing that's always worth pointing out at these times is you, can, you hear it a few times in World Cup broadcasts, oh, this player 12 months ago was playing non-league football. Before that, they were working in a Chipotle or whatever. You know, the, there are fine lines to what makes a pro and a lot of a lot of guys that have fallen out of the professional or a path to the professional game like academy soccer or anything you know are like a, a kamungo who you know can go to uh one of these open tryouts and catch on and then a bit of full-time coaching really just makes that difference gets that fitness up and then we see them finally have the opportunity uh you know you can go to Denton Diablo's games and see those guys where you can watch them and say, you know what, if this guy was training, you know, six days a week instead of two, what would his, what would his level be like then? Um, you know, it, it's cool to see that we get to kind of see that because North Texas is a huge, huge pool of talent with with uh, all the, the great academy clubs here um, and really not a lot. Lot, not a lot beyond FC Dallas to kind of go up further in the ladder um, once they hit 18. Very good. All right, what's the next question? See, uh, Mose uh, asks, will this year's homegrown signings make it into the lineup? Similar to the previous, uh, except homegrowns instead of uh, North Texas. Uh, the homegrown signings, no, not this year. Um, both of these kids are uh, graduating high school this next coming summer. These are really signings, if you will, for sort of the back half of next season. Um, they will play there right now. They continue to play U19 soccer with the, uh, with the second, with the, sorry, not the second with the Academy. They'll join North Texas in January. 
um, or February when North Texas camp opens. And I would imagine that, that you'll see them full time with North Texas with the occasional uh, move back to the 19s. Um, Dallas will use um, homegrowns in the academy teams and academy games for things like Dallas Cup or the um, MLS Next playoffs. Um, Paxson, Jesus, Brandon, those guys all used to go back down and play in things like Dallas Cup. You're, you'll see with more international teams coming back to the Dallas Cup, um, that tournament will have such massive value and level of competition. It'll be better in many ways. It'll be better competition than MLS next uh, pro will be because of the quality of the teams that are in the Dallas cup super group. So I would expect those guys to be doing all that kind of stuff playing in the MLS next uh, playoffs, even perhaps depending on how quickly they become full-time starters with North Texas potentially. So I, I can't imagine you'll see them have much impact with FC Dallas for a couple of seasons you know, that one of the things that coach talked to me about was not having guys up with his team full time until they're ready to actually help his team, you know, and wanting a shorter roster. So um, short answer is the the homegrown signings. No, they will not make it into the lineup this year. Do you want to tag that at all, Dan? No, I think you, uh, you nailed it there. Um, you know, the only thing that I was thinking is, uh, at least in Nolan Norris's case, you know, he's playing a position well two positions really where it, it lends to be a bit older you, you're not going to see too many 17 year old breakout stars yeah that's fair it's even more so than some of the um, more interesting attacking positions all right next question from lance lester a second question from him will using homegrowns be a thing for the club moving forward i know they won't spend much this year since they weren't there wasn't a big sale well, that's that. That means he means FC Dallas spent much this year because it wasn't a big sale. Uh, so just wondering. So he's kind of asking two things there, Dan. Uh, how big a deal are homegrowns going to be for the club uh, since they haven't really sold much lately since Pepe left? I mean, his, his thing. We've seen a realization of you know winning MLS Cup with eleven homegrowns not being a realistic thing right now, and just trying to win. Uh, with guys like Legette, with like uh, like Ariola, uh, and we'll you know continue to see that. Now we know that you know the midfield could do with a little bit of shoring up. Does that mean that Brandon sees fewer opportunities? Does that mean Paxton sees fewer opportunities? Wholly possible. If there's an MLS Cup ready six out there, then Edwin Sarrio is going to see fewer opportunities. Uh, it's kind of time maybe for us all as media and fans to kind of just look at it as players are players rather than, uh, you know, given a little bit of the, okay, I want this many homegrowns in the lineup because, you know, ultimately uh, it's, it's trying to be a competitive team rather than trying to, you know, field the, the next national team. Yeah. Homegrowns are going to remain a core engine of this organization. It's just going to, it's gonna it's gonna be less um, fifteen year olds, you know, and more eighteen year olds being signed, and less less eighteen year olds being forced into play, and, and more like nineteen, twenty, twenty one year olds getting into play. I think um, at least while Nico's here, I think that's gonna be the case. You know, in this new direction that's gonna happen, that's gonna be the case. I don't. It's not gonna change the overall reliance, just to sort of um, tweak a bit, uh, you know, and, and try and use North Texas more. North Texas needs to become. A significant part of the pathway rather than just something to skip over uh, back to stephanie um asking about the goat uh if we don't get matt hedges back are we going to just use uh, nicosi tafari and jose martinez are there any south american center backs that andres has an eye on maybe um tafari martinez is the fallback but i think 100 percent yes there will be uh, potentially a South American center back that's not has his eye on almost certainly without fail. I think that's the case. Um, I don't think the number one plan is Tafari Martinez. I think the number one plan will be at least one of uh, a South American center back and probably something else that the next question has. Do you want to, <laughs> do you, you uh, want to chime in on, on the South American part for first Dan? I sure. Yeah. We know that uh, Andres not has a, a lot of connections and uh you know south america is a is a, a perfect place to find uh, cheaper talent 
uh, while he wasn't always the most popular, you know, Brassan was a guy who, um, you know, had a decent pedigree, had won uh, Copa Libertadores and, and wasn't the most expensive uh, piece for FC Dallas. I mean, you could get something along those lines. Uh, and then, yeah, do you want me to ask you the next two questions since they kind of... Yeah, sure. Well. So Thunderhide and Corey Reynolds uh, both uh, ask about Aaron Long. Thunderhide asks, uh, is there any shot that Dallas makes a player signing Long or is he too pricey? Corey asks, is Aaron Long not playing a silver lining for FC Dallas? Does it make it more likely that he signs? So, yes, not playing is a small silver lining. It does make it slightly more possible that he could sign for FC Dallas. Um, Thunderhide, yes, there is a shot that they could get Aaron Long. We won't know if he's too pricey yet. It depends how many clubs are after him. So this is what we said on the back end of Stephanie's question, which was that Tafari and Martinez are not the number one choice. I think the number one choice is A, a South American center back, and B, a shot at Aaron Long, both. Can they get both? I don't know. I think for sure they'll probably bring in a foreign center back. But um, the the Aaron Long thing, I, I 100% have come to believe that SC Dallas wants to get in on Aaron Long. That's the only reason I think that you need to save a boatload of money on Matt Hedges um, is if you're if you're trying to do this because Long is not going to be cheap. Uh, you're looking at something over a million dollars probably, um, and, but he's going to set the market. And it looks like there's about four teams in MLS, maybe five, that need a center back. So he might be he might be too pricey. We're, we're going to find out probably after. Dallas gets, not Dallas, Emma, good Lord. After the U.S. gets eliminated, which could be as early as the third against the Netherlands, you know, so maybe within a week and a week and a half, the Aaron Long will set the market. And then we'll find out what's going to happen with Hedges and anybody else that might be a free agent among these four or five teams. And on top of that, I think Dallas will also go for a South American center back. I honestly think that the club would like to upgrade both center back spots if possible. And that Tafari Martinez is the fallback. Okay, let me. I'm going to add a question there. Uh, if Aaron Long isn't the play, do you reckon Alexander Callens may be uh, maybe in the mix? Yeah, I think he certainly could be. I think he definitely could be in the mix. I mean, it's clear to me. I think, based on their behavior, that they would like to change both center back spots, um, not just one, not just the hedges spot. You know, the fact that they still want to bring Hedges back, you know, on some number means that they are covering their basis. Um, but I really think they'll try and go for long and go for a South American both, you know, because it looks like they're probably not going to be able to get Hedges at this point. You know, and if you can't, you know, assuming you can't get him and assuming you may or may not get long, you know, so they basically have three ideas potentially that they're working on, I believe, for those two spots, if that makes sense. I think Kia Hedges is actually the least likely of them. All right, Corey Dobbins, I think that's where we are, says the lone six being such an important position in any formation that utilizes it, a.k.a. a 4-3-3 single pivot. Nico's not being an exception to that, and given that Faku isn't MLS Cup quality and Edwin isn't there yet, opinions, of course, does FC Dallas look like they're in the market for a six? Um, they should be. Um, if you want to take a step forward, you got to get uh, better in the important positions. And uh, right now, the, the you know probably the two biggest asks are centre back and and six for FC Dallas. Uh, can they do a six by committee using players you know eights that that can drop into that role? Probably. Do, will they want to do that? No. Yeah, the trick in this question is that Edwin is between his age and his number is somebody you're very happy to have on your roster if he's not even if he's not the starter. Faku, on the other hand, <laughs> that is not the case because he's getting paid a fair amount of money. Let's see, what is he on right now? He's right? on seven hundred eighty-six. That probably goes up to eight hundred something, you know. And he's uh, twenty-nine, going on thirty, I believe. Yes, he'll be 30 in May. So that salary and that number age are not a player you want to carry on your roster if he's second or third choice. So if Dallas is in the market for a six, and I think it's certainly possible, um, 
they would have to probably use a buyout on him. And then you could do it this winter, and then he wouldn't be on the cap. The problem is it's at the club's expense, a.k.a. the Hunt's expense. So they have to dip into their own pocket to do it. Um, so I think it's more likely, I think, that they will stand pat at six with Faco and Edwin because they're they're about to spend money on one or maybe two center backs. Maybe they're going to spend money on a forward this summer if they vacate Frank O'Hara's number. Maybe they got to spend money at um, at the Sebastian Lett legit backup position. Those are three or four big spends right there alone. So it being part of a process, I, I think they're more likely to stand pat um, this this season. Boo. Boo. I know. I, I, don't, I don't know that I agree enough with it necessarily either. That might be the place I would go number one, but they might obviously seem to be dis- probably disagree with that. Gross. Right. Uh, Pablo Ocampo asks, will FCD sign more players in their prime rather than young players and go with a win-now mentality? Yes. That was quick. Yeah, that one's easy. That's 100% the case. They still want young players, but it's 100% um, buy-in on the legit Paul Areola that kind of center back like Aaron Long, that kind of signing. You want to take the next one as well then? <laughs> sure. Since Let me throw good. in also that I've even heard of at least one young player with FC Dallas that within a, you know, a month prior to the end of the season was already telling people they don't care about kids anymore. They only want 28s, and that was part of his reason that he wanted to leave. I'll leave him nameless in case he didn't want that public information. Okay, where were we? Um, uh, Enrique. Enrique Granodios. Granodios? I'm butchering that, but Enrique, I'm sorry, buddy. Granados, Granados, luck of the country. Oh, that I'm not sure good. where I'm not sure where you got the I the I or E in it from. From from me being a horrible Spanish uh, <laughs> butcher of language. I remember it's it's Iran. <laughs> Iran, <laughs> Iran, Iran. Okay, whatever. Okay, since play the kids is wrapping up, everybody knows that, and I presume Nico will be more involved with the transfer window this time around. Should we anticipate more ex U.S. men's national team players, or now the World Cup? cycle is coming to an end where we see more MLS quality international signings. Damn. Uh, Nico definitely feels like a better devil you know, and the devil he knows is a lot of the guys that he's worked with over the past four years. Yeah, I would, I would definitely say look at the, at the U.S. men's national team players that are in MLS. Look for international signings that he can get a recommendation on. So maybe like guys from Spain, that kind of thing. And of course, the Zanata thing too. But I think the, the Jet and the Areola moves clearly indicate where his preferences are. Um, and you can even say, look back to when he was with Columbus, perhaps, even use those relationships as well, perhaps. Okay, Lance says the next question says, to tag on to the previous question by Enrique, or is spending money part of selling players as well? Meaning, will they go after in-prime players in order to try and sell them instead of young players to try and sell them to make that sweet transfer money? Oh, there's always there's always going to be a mix there. Yeah, I think it's both. I think it'll be continue to be both. I think you'll continue to see the idea that the academy will pay off. You'll continue. Like, I, I've heard from people that the U22 initiative, that they're big fans of that, you know, in order to bring in players like a Shun or like, or like a Quinones, neither of whom panned out, but they liked the process of how it worked, which is like a mini DP kind of, if you will. So I think it's going to be a combination of those two things. Uh, who we got up next Marcus, is, yeah. Oh, Mark Wright, Ipswich's own. Uh, he's Nico, a long-time coach of FC Dallas. It depends on what you mean by long-term. I think he will be here for a cycle, you know, the usual five years or so, um, depending on how successful he is, it could stretch longer, but, uh, I think if he manages to win something, I think that he could be gone fairly quickly. Um, I think this is the coach that looks at FC Dallas as the first stepping stone of his long career, that this was his first move from assistant to the head coach and, and that he being from Spain and, and not being a lifer coach here in America, like some of the foreign guys are, um, may have aspirations both you know, with our own national team um, programs as a head coach, perhaps, or um, moving to what he considers to be larger clubs in Europe if he gets a couple of uh, uh, trophies under his belt. Yeah, I mean, a Spanish coach, uh, the the end goal is always going to be La Liga, right? Unless family gets in the way somehow. 
I suppose that's possible. Okay, Fritz Yonker has a question. Uh, has Zanata ever given a defined goal or cycle length for his time at FC Dallas? I ask because it seems like he's a fairly ambitious guy. And if one is waiting until FC Dallas wins an MLS Cup, you might be waiting for a while. And there's always rumors that some big Brazilian club wants to bring him back in. Dan, what do you think? Uh, you know, that's never really a conversation that you, you have with a TD, uh, at least on the media side. Uh, but yeah, his his pattern has always been kind of, you know, not not really putting down too deeper roots anywhere and kind of moving on to good opportunities. He has been linked with a couple of bigger jobs back in Brazil. One thing he has always, uh, I think he's expressed as that he likes that it's not as cutthroat here as it is in in Brazil, where you're constantly looking over your shoulder for the next takeover that gives you a guy that's going to try and stab you in the back or the, the club that's just going to throw you out the door next. Yeah, the last time he was linked to a club in Brazil, I actually had a conversation with him about this. And he said that he was really invested in what the hunts were building and really liked the direction they were talking. The hunts are trying to take all this thing. And that again, that he liked the stability and the long-term potential to build something here rather than the sort of chaotic nature of South America. And while he took the, the phone calls of those clubs out of respect for them and his relationships there, he was not remotely interested in leaving. So he says, so I'll take him on faith on that. Um, he seems to have been here so far for long enough that I feel like that's true. That he's looking to stay. So uh, we'll see. I mean, he did go to high school here, which I think is always really funny that he's sort of back where he started, started out his soccer career in a way because he worked for traffic, you know, too, before he got into the South American club business. So it's an interesting background. It's not a... Oh, this is going to be a fun one. Jesus Ortega asks about our favorite Thomas Roberts. Do you have any sense of where Thomas Roberts... Would prefer to play with respect to location. I would love for him to play one or two years with the El Paso locomotive, where he will surely become a cult-like figure, much like Diego Luna. Thanks. Yeah, funny enough, we didn't set this up that I got to answer this question. Um, I actually feel fairly confident that Thomas will attempt to go to a lower division club in Europe. Um, between his loan to Bayern Munich that Dallas blocked, the, the shot he took in Austria the training stints he's had with other clubs in Germany and in Scotland and places like that. And he had another one in Austria that he looked at for a bit. I'm pretty confident that Thomas will attempt to take a shot like that over something like a USL championship. It feels like his, his style of play and his stature would probably be a little bit more suited to, to that than really the American leagues anyway, where everything's, you know, so much more athletic yeah, USL Championship has a lot, a little bit of like a track meet quality to it at times, and I'm not, Thomas will want it more like a, a Spanish style, slower play, paced, you know, play would be really good for him. You know, Portugal, I, I I think Scotland would go be good for him, where the physicality of it would teach him a lot. We'll we'll see where he lands. It's an interesting question. Okay, Scott Humphreys had a whole boatload of questions, so we're gonna go through them one at a time. Uh, any update on a new kit sponsor and what do we need to do to get Rosa's give us uh, giveaways a game? Uh, I think he means Rosa's. Is it tortillas? Rosa's tortillas? Yeah. 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 Dan. Uh, no update on a new kit sponsor. Um, you know, I, I did go to the HEB in Plano the other day. I did, uh, I, I did, uh, you know, I, I did the natural ritual of how you wish everything into life pee on all four corners of the building and, and shake a goat's head and stuff and, and really wish that HEB ends up on the jersey next season. Uh, as far as Roses, who knows, man? Uh, uh, Jerome seems to be working miracles or a lot of stuff. So it's, you know, maybe uh, maybe throw a question his way and it might happen. Yeah, just ask him. That's the best way. Uh, I don't have any kit sponsor news, but I can tell you that the the current NATO kit, the tornado kit, as we call it, I don't remember what they call it. The one that's the Rangers color, basically that, that is the highest selling secondary kit they've ever had. Uh, and they actually, they kind of think that it would have been the number one selling jersey they've ever had if they hadn't had the same supply channel problems that everybody in the world had over the last sort of year and a half. Whoa. Um, so that's sold like gangbusters. Hmm? They had even worse problems. Cause remember like the, yeah, 
the the sponsor on the on the player jersey was kind of bigger and blue, and then on the ones that they had in store, it was like black, yeah. small, and kind of off center a little bit. That, that was the reason I didn't buy it. Yeah, the point being is that that jersey was very, very, very popular, and I think that that style, that color, and that and that flavor, I think, will get carried over because of how successful it is. I'm not anticipating like a radical departure from that scheme because of how well it did for them because how much people liked it i I would love to know uh if there was a change in the process at all like if they had a late in the day change you know with how far in advance you have to approve designs and stuff uh since that is the jersey that uh is being replaced this this winter yeah uh, you know if they're like hold on we need to not go back to white or not do whatever we were about to do and and ride this out I would hope so because the new, the the design, you know this, Dan, which I'm saying this for the people, it's about 15 months, which means not this summer we just went through, but the summer of 2021 would have been when they would have sort of started and approved whatever this new kit would have been. So that would have been sort of halfway through this particular current powder blue jersey was selling like gangbusters. So they would have recognized, I think, by the time they started the process on the one we're going to get in like February. So I'm confident hopefully it'll be something pretty similar uh, anyway. Yeah. Uh, Let's go on to uh, Scott's next question. How would a USL1 team in Fort Worth impact FCD? Maybe let's expand that to the uh, Vaqueros too. Uh, Yeah, very, very little impact on FC Dallas. um, Beyond which, beyond what you would hope would be a good enough relationship that you could loan guys to them like you do San Antonio or Tulsa or Oklahoma City if they ever come back. Um, the, the amount of audience for FC Dallas that comes from Fort Worth, I think is small enough that in my opinion, I've been saying this for a decade now that a USL, um, championship team in Fort Worth, which is what it's going to be, not a USL one, um, could be, uh, perfectly survivable on its own with little impact on FC Dallas beyond hopefully a positive relationship that you can loan players to now Vaqueros impact of a USL championship would be pretty negative. I think that would, unless Vaqueros got invested with them to have a team come in right on top of them, that would not be good for them at all. Um, it might even impact all the MPSL teams fairly negatively. Um, although, you know, the, the FC Dallas's next pro USL one never did, but having it over on the other side of town, that's, Maybe not Denton, but man, I would think that would be a big problem for Fort Worth, unfortunately. Yeah, I mean, I've known a you know ton of people, a ton of FC Dallas fans that come over from Fort Worth, and you know, unless FC Dallas screw things up, that always tends to be the you know that's how Fort Worth Akira's got its support. Right, uh, Puzzlegate happened around the same time the club was founded, and a lot of it, and uh, quite a few of the Fort Worth-based FC Dallas fans decided that was a, an, a better alternative for that reason. Um, unless FC Dallas monumentally screws up something else, the people that are coming from Fort Worth are going to continue coming from Fort Worth to Frisco. Um, you know, yeah. you're just going to, like you say, uh, kind of take the, the the sting out of what the Vaqueros have going on, on going from kind of a, you know, a, a semi-pro fourth-tier soccer to... You know, a more, pro- more closer to professional third tier soccer. Yeah, you're talking about a team that's going to be in Keller, you know, South Keller, West Keller, whatever that is over there, like almost near Alliance Airport kind of level. You know, it's it's going to be not nearly as far north as actually Dallas is compared to Dallas, but um, you know, I, people that are already willing to drive from Fort Worth to Dallas are not going to be. I would not think will be heavily affected by this team competition going in there. All right, is it? Um, is it my turn? I think any update on the potential renovation plans for Toyota Stadium, Dan? Uh, none on that specifically that I've heard. Uh, the big thing is it looks like Frisco is trying to get a lot of, um, well, put a lot of investment themselves into that area of town. Uh, Roller Town uh, Brewery in Salina, um, they are about to start building a huge facility on the opposite corner, kind of where the grain silos are. Um, Mm -hmm. So it looks like they're kind of trying to develop that whole area to expand Frisco Square and and World Cup Way and all that. 
further out towards the old downtown. Yeah, the, for anyone that hasn't been following along to what we've reported, is that basically Dan Hunt's been telling people, you know, in various different scenarios that, that they're looking to develop the frontage there on Main Street as it goes, you know, east of the stadium, but also that whole east side of the stadium in terms of some sort of larger structure of hotel or office or something, um, potentially with some, you know, restauranty kind of big event sort of or mini event kind of facility perhaps in there. Um, you, you know, the, that kind of multi-use building with the, with the structure of seats on that east side and maybe even involving the north side too, that those, that, you know, they've sent out things to season ticket holders asking, you know, would you be willing to do this or that or the other scenarios, you know, if, in case of those locations being closed for an extended period of time. This is all predicated on the idea of the World Cup and paying off for the World Cup. So it's, you know, it's that four-year cycle from here on that you're looking at. You know, they would want to have it all in place before that. You know, not that they have a game, but they would have, the, you know, a hotel there and chance to host teams and, and again, taking advantage of the World Cup, you know, uh, um, group publicity that you're going to get from the whole thing. So that none of that's concrete, but that's all kind of floating out there. I guess uh, one thing is worth saying is a lot of this, this is all hinged on the whole uh idea of legalizing sports betting and uh in texas and winstar putting money in and you know and, and building out everything uh and a texas senator carol alvarado pre-filed a bill to legalize sports betting two weeks ago so no a week ago uh, yeah two weeks ago so uh the next uh legislative session convenes on january 10th at some point there will be a vote on sports betting um somebody did say to me that jerry jones has contributed heavily to the five leading republicans to kind of push it along um we know we've heard so much about mattress mac and and his uh his huge gambles on the astros and and everything else so there's a lot of people with a lot of money that want to make this happen yeah and you can see how that all parlays into the world cup and potential you know betting and, and hotels and you know you can see where the whole thing is kind of heading you know I, something will happen i think almost no matter which direction it all kind of breaks but this is all going to happen at a way higher level than we kind of are normally monitoring it's going to trickle down to us and it'll be a fascinating process to watch all right we're continuing with scott humphrey questions here and i want to ask the next one dan because i think you will be better able to answer it knowing the hunts kind of burn their bridges in terms of the nwsl team what is the likelihood that SC Dallas could still get one to elevate their women's academy? Okay. Uh, I guess I'll start with the background, uh, the Hunts burn in the bridge. Um, NWSL wants major league soccer ownership groups. They want teams that have stability that is afforded by uh, an ownership group that's used to running a soccer team that can integrate that into uh, a wider group. Um, you know, Portland Thorns aside with uh, everything that's happened on the... You know, we see teams like, well, not so much the Dash. The Dash always treat the second-class citizens. Uh, the Orlando Pride with, with Orlando City, th things kind of like that. Um, the exception seems to be uh, the Hunts. Uh, the Hunts uh, flew a little too close to the sun, teased a little bit about the idea of investing, and then kind of uh, ghosted the league. Um, so I was told a few years ago, and at that point, the league was not considering the hunts for anything. Now, money is the big uh, driver yeah, in anything. Yeah, money talks, yeah. Um, you know, we've had the Salt Lake franchise go back to uh, Kansas City after the original Kansas City franchise lost its investment. We've seen, um, uh, you know, everything that's happened in... Um, with uh, Gotham FC and their investment, um, money money is going to be the big driver behind anything. So if the Hunts are serious about it, I'm sure there's a way to open a door there. Uh, without that, you know, the NWSL does want to get into into the North Texas market of some some kind. Why wouldn't you? There's so many uh, there's so much so many young players here. There's so much potential to uh, make money off a women's soccer team to sell tickets. Um, 
it, it's it's wholly possible. I mean, if they can't get NWSL, there really isn't a an alternative. They have a WPSL team. That is the second division of women's soccer. Uh, the alternate uh, second division now is going to be the um, the Super League uh, that USL are running. Well, FC Dallas don't really have too much of uh, an involvement with USL now that uh, you know they were forced to pull out of USL 1 and go into MLS Next Pro. So you got to think, if if there is any advancement on a women's team, it would have to be FC Dallas or an alternate ownership group that magically has an appropriate stadium that's not like a hulking, great, enormous thing and a decent training facility that has the money in place. Not the most likely thing. So, uh, yeah, let's, let's, let's hope they get yeah. it. <laughs> yeah, money talks. Um, the other thing is uh, that I, I can think of is that if the USL championship team comes into Keller, that facility might be the right size. They have training grounds over there. Maybe a USL women's or an NWSL could do something there. Um, so, yeah. Um, so one of the things uh, with that, yeah, that Keller, uh, you know, we know that's Donnie Nelson's Neltec Sports Group. Neltec Sports Group includes Texas United. Texas United is exp- uh, is. I believe was supposed to be taken on a women's team. So yeah, like you say, it's, it's wholly possible that, uh, you know, they, they could try and put something together, whether that would be the standard of NWSL or that would be more of a WPSL, uh, USL yeah. wise or super league, probably more the USL since they are, they, I think one of their stated goals was to have a team in every, every league that USL offers. It'll be an interesting uh, thing to watch. Just another development that'll happen way above the level we normally operate. But, um, you know, if and when we find out stuff, we will let people know. Okay. Scott's last question. When are we ever going to get to see the topic list that's written in crayon? <laughs> Scott, I hate to break it to you, but there's not, it's not written in crayon, man. <laughs> it's, it's written on the computer and it's text. It's copied and pasted into a chat. So, <laughs> There's no crayons. We, we use the red crayon font <laughs> in GroupMe. Yeah. <laughs> There's no crayon. Okay. Uh, Eddie Middlebrook. Can we get some sidekicks outlaws talk? Now, Ned, I know you kind of answered this one in the chat a little bit. Um, we need a primer on indoor soccer because this person says they're going to an outlaws game. Eddie is. Um, I've only been in rec soccer for indoor soccer and that was 15 years ago so dan go ahead uh, our, our lovable excitable intern john uh christ i've forgotten his name leonard <laughs> leonard so i nearly said john arnold i was like yeah, that's not right it's not our intern no. um no um wrote a primer on the sidekicks i think he's working on one for the uh mesquite outlaws right yep. now uh you know i do think um that's Honestly, probably going to be the best coverage uh, that they get this year. Uh, we have seen some of the podcasts like Dallas Soccer Show uh, take a step back and some of the the other uh, blogs that have done some indoor coverage in the past. I, I don't know if they're carrying that on. So uh, that, that's more like than likely going to be your best source of information. Big picture, uh, indoor soccer, um, Dallas Outkicks, Mosquito Outlaws, it's the same quality of play the same skill level as npsl or usl two a lot of the same players almost always the same players it's funny enough um american soccer before the birth of major league soccer was kind of the same system you played an indoor season and you played an outdoor season and that let you play sort of year round and make a living in soccer so there's this group of players they basically play npsl teams they're not college kids they're there's semi-pros, if you will, that play outdoor for NPSL, for Vaqueros or Denton, particularly when they want to have a team that's going to be in the Open Cup. Um, they migrate over to indoor in the winter, and they play an indoor season. So that's the level of play it is. Not as much USL2, because USL2 is almost always mostly college kids, but there are probably some. Um, so that's that's the tier of the quality. There are some good players on those teams. The one thing I find interesting is the last time the Outlaws came in, all the dudes that were the kicks for a long time, all the really quality players in town at that level jumped over to Outlaws because they didn't like the sidekicks coach. Well, this time after Outlaws took a hiatus, those guys all came back and played for the sidekicks when the Outlaws were gone. This time they're kind of seem to be staying. There doesn't seem to be a bunch of them jumping to the Outlaws. So the Outlaws are going to be a real question mark. The kicks probably are playoff caliber. We're going to find out what the Outlaws have. They have tattoo. They use their coach. So they, they do have that. 
All right, last question from FCD96. Okay, what does the club, FC Dallas, look like in two years, Dan, in the standings, on the roster? Who will have been the next great FC Dallas sale, and how reloaded is the Academy pipeline? Feel free to tackle any of that you would like to predict in two years, Dan. Uh, I think FC Dallas in two years uh, should be challenging top four like they are. Uh, Roster-wise, I think you'll see, you know, the age go up uh, both through the young players just getting older and through additions of of players that are more in their prime. I don't, don't know if there will have been a, a next great sale at that point. Uh, it's pretty hard to top a $20 million sale. Yeah. Uh, and FC Dallas and some players have had some horror stories from the other sales uh academy pipeline i think it's, that's more you but i believe we're we're approaching a, a bit of a bubble uh, a bit of a gap right now so that uh that may be still trying to reload yeah two years from now is the end of the 2024 season um they will have jettisoned frank o'hara facunda Kenyon, matt hedges will be gone i think martinez will be gone by then that's a lot of money gone they'll have a couple of new pieces. I think Jesus will still be here. I think Velasco will still be here. I think that'll be their first real challenge for MLS Cup. Not this season, the season after 2024. And depending on how well that's going, you'll see, you know, that's sort of the reaching the top of the coaching cycle, the three to five year cycle. That'll be three years. You'll get a two year run in MLS Cup in 2024, 2025. Now, um, where will the pipeline be and will there be a big sale? The next big sale is either Velasco or Jesus, probably towards the end of that, at that, at that sort of point, the end of the next two season cycle, depending on how well it's going and how good those players have progressed. You know, that's probably when the sum that summer or the summer after that was probably when you, you might see that sale happen. The pathway, the little bubble actually just popped. Um, the, the 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 whole the little gap was the 2004 class, which just had Antonio Carrera in it, and that's pretty much it. 2005 and 2006 academy classes are both wide. There's a fair number of professionals. There's no 20 million dollar Pepe that I can see yet, but um, the next two or three classes, uh, three four classes, are all really good. The, tr- the problem is, is that they're actually better. There's only room for a couple of guys a year, one or two a year. And yet D- Dallas is about to churn out, you know, four five, six professional caliber players a year. Now they're not European caliber professionals. They're probably going to be domestic caliber professionals. Maybe there's one or two European guys in there. And those are the ones you'll see them grab. That doesn't mean that the other four or five players aren't all going to be landing in you know, next pros or, or USL championships or even MLS deals down the line a little bit, you know, after a year or two of college, perhaps, you know, that's going to be the biggest next hurdle for Dallas is how you get, because you're producing more than one pro a year now. You're producing two or even some of these classes, maybe four or five pros a year. How do you get them into professional teams without just letting them walk away? That's the next big dilemma in terms of the pipeline how you make it happen. So for me, that's going to be a fascinating process. And one of the things I'm most looking forward to seeing them try and conquer. Um, but yeah, in two years, I think you're going to see a, a fully complete legit 2024 is the year, man, to go hard at MLS cup. In my opinion. And that was intense. Yeah. Tense. Last question. I like to say, that's why I put that one last. Although that was kind of fun. All right, Dan, that pretty much wraps up all the questions. Uh, anything you wanted to talk about other than the Q&A we did today? you have any other hot FC Dallas, North Texas topics? Nah, I'm just enjoying the offseason. Yeah, I, I think uh, it's going to be interesting over the next month. The World Cup's put a put a gap in what our normal coverage is. Normally, we would sort of, I would think, start to see some roster moves, some player moves, and it would give us a little bit to chew on. But the, the World Cup's causing this hold so I don't know what we're going to do the next couple of weeks. I look forward to um, the, the pod we did last year, Dan, you and I, when we did our crazy off-the-wall um, scenarios. Do you remember that podcast? I thought that was fun. 
that was ridiculous. Yeah. Yeah. It's been a minute. Maybe we might do a roster breakdown player by player and talk about where we are and what we think is coming next for them. Perhaps something like that. Maybe we'll interview somebody, but, um, we're going to do our best to continue to bring you a podcast each week. I, I don't know what it's going to look like next week because the world cup will still be going. Um, but hopefully we'll start to get some roster news. Uh, you know, the, the, the silver lining of the U S eventually getting eliminated because listen, they're not going to win it is that that will create the first domino tipping over when you'll see the Aaron long move more than likely happen. And, Click, 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 click. Here will come a bunch of moves and then it'll be off. And we'll start to see the league doing some crazy, crazy stuff as they do every winter. Not that it's going to be any worse than usual normal. So Third Degree the Podcast is brought to you by Soccer90.com, your source for all your FC Dallas and World Cup gear. Shop the wide selection of U.S. national team merchandise, jerseys, hats, scarves, and much more available now. As a Third Degree listener, you get 20% off your order when you use the code Third Degree at checkout at Soccer90.com. Some exclusions may apply. This podcast was also brought to you by the patrons of Third Degree, the podcast, and thirddegree.net, who join us at patreon.com slash thirddegree. You, too, can take part and support this podcast and our efforts covering SC Dallas. All right. Thanks, Dan, for being here. Thanks for taking part. Thanks for helping me get through this Q&A. Uh, thank you. Uh, thank you for leading us through it and for uh, ordering those questions, because otherwise, uh, if there weren't so many red crayon arrows on it, we'd have been kind of screwed. <laughs> it's all crossed out. All right, thank you, FC Dallas Curious Fan, for joining us here on Third Degree, the podcast. We'll see you next week on another edition of Third Degree, the podcast. Ooh. Woo! Third Degree, the Third Degree Net Podcast. Third Degree, the Third Degree Net Podcast. Third Degree, Third Degree Net Twenty-five, twenty-five long hard years, yeah. Was Gary, yeah, the man, man. Twenty-five years, you better be giving this man at least five dollars a month. Patreon third degree, come on, pay the man. It's the only comprehensive coverage of my fucking club that I love so much. Hey, come on, it's third degree old bust, yes. Give the man some mother f- money, hey. Third degree, third degree, never.